it's scaling walls, it's climbing ropes, it's crawling under barbed wire. It's all the things that a human being from a um, mechanical standpoint should be able to do. We should be able to crawl, climb, jump, and we sit and we type and that's all we do, right? And so we're actually learning helplessness. I'm trying to make people harder to kill. Joe DeSena, the founder and CEO of Spartan, knows what it means to get pushed to your limits. From the mafia-hired pool boy to brilliantly successful entrepreneur, Joe has taken lessons from mafia families, his father, his mother, and mentors to get to where he is today. In this episode, Joe shares the three lessons he learned from mafia head honchos and the 10 principles he now lives by so that you too can be inspired to be more Spartan. This episode is an exciting conversation with Joe DeSena and Joe Polish. If you'd like to join Joe Polish and 400 more of the world's greatest entrepreneurs at this year's Genius Network annual event, then apply today for your invitation to attend. If you'd like to learn more about the Genius Network annual event or to apply, go to GeniusNetwork.com. I'm really excited about this. So this interview I'm going to do is with this guy by the name of Joe DeSena. He's the founder and CEO of Spartan. It's the world's largest obstacle race and endurance brand. He's demonstrated his entrepreneurial drive since his pre-teens. Following a successful career on Wall Street, Joe DeSena set his sights on ripping people off their couches by creating the Spartan Lifestyle. With more than 1 million annual participants at more than 250 events across more than 40 countries, Spartan offers eats for all fitness levels and ages from beginner to elite and kids as young as four years old. The brand has transformed more than 6 million lives since it was founded in 2010. DeSena is also the host of the Spartan Up podcast and is a New York Times bestselling author having written three books, Spartan Up, Spartan Fit, and The Spartan Way. And so I'm going to do an interview with him, ask him a bunch of questions and also have an opportunity for you guys to do that. So give it up for Mr. Joe DeSena. When I first met you, uh, we did a podcast interview over Dean's office, and I actually had a cold. I don't know how, but I had somehow managed to get a staph infection in my sinuses. And so I was on this weird treatment, getting rid of it. When Joe had come, it had been about three weeks, and I was wheezing and coughing, but I was kind of like on the tail end, and he's like, let's do some burpees. And I'm like, I got a freaking cold right now. I can't do burpees. He's like, no, no, we'll go slow. And so anyway, we ended up doing 51. No, actually, I think it was uh, 60. But I thought I was literally going to die. But something happened when we did that is it made me realize that, wow, you know, I mean, I am not pushing myself to the levels of where my intensity can go. And so you're a super intense guy. Explain for other than what I just read about you, who the hell are you? What do you do when people ask you that? Yeah, other yeah. than just your- So I am just a regular guy with triangular wheels on my bicycle. <laughs> yeah. I went through that earlier. But um, I grew up in a crazy neighborhood in a crazy household, like I'm sure many of us uh, did. I love to push myself, but I really, I think what I love more than that is I love pushing others. I love pushing others like you with the staph infection, not to their limits, because you didn't go to your limit. We could have went much further. I think it inspires me. Mm -hmm. I think selfishly it inspires me. Like, I had to finish some burpees. You were finishing them with all of us. During that time, we actually, I think you even had Eunice doing burpees, (laughs) and Dean, and and Dean's CEO. Yeah, everyone was doing them. Because I made a commitment to myself, right? And I said, I got to do them. And so I didn't really feel like doing them. You talked earlier about this idea of being in the dark warehouse alone and I don't want to be alone so it was like I roped you in yeah so I'm helping you you're helping me mm-hmm. and I do that all day my father was a master at this 
when we were 10 years old, my friends would say, I don't understand. I came over your house seeing if you wanted to go to the movies and I'm putting up sheetrock with your dad. <laughs> my dad was a pro at it and somehow you liked it. Yeah, you got recruited into these it, things. Into, the, into like work. Here's the thing, when that happened, it set off this whole trigger where I started doing burpees and I would wake up in the morning and I think I went that week because I was still, I had a cold, I started playing around with doing burpees. But about a week later, I was like, I'm going to just make a commitment and do them every day. And so it was very similar to when I made this commitment to doing yoga because I had this yoga instructor that said to me, if you do yoga three times a week, it'll change your body. If you do it every day, it'll change your life. And so I said, I'm going to do yoga every day and see if that actually happens. I ended up doing 81 or 82 yoga sessions in a 90-day period. But what it did for me mentally, it ended up becoming sort of like this mental state. And I even have a thing back here that says, don't react, respond. I was able to respond to life. It increased my ability to respond versus react. And so when I started doing burpees, Talk about priming in the morning. I mean, I would do them first thing in the morning. Yeah. I think eight months where I did at least 30 to 100 burpees every day for eight months straight. Didn't miss a day. And then I, you know, kind of went off a little bit. But I, you know, I still do burpees. And I've gotten probably hundreds of people to start doing burpees yeah. as a result of you having me do that sort of thing. So what is a Spartan? What, yeah, what so, does Spartan let's go, do? Let's, let's go down that road a little bit yeah. longer because you're all, lots of stuff are running through your minds right now. And <laughs> what we do as a company is we put a date on the calendar for you because 90% of people that sign up for gyms or buy fitness apps or say they're going to be on a diet, if everybody showed up to the gym that actually owned a membership, <laughs> they, they, the gym couldn't handle it. Very few people do it. But we're the only company, along with a New York Marathon or somebody like that actually forces you to do those things, just like a professor forces you to hand in your paper on Friday or a wedding date gets a bride and groom to get fit and good-looking right before the wedding, right? If you don't have that thing on the calendar, so that's all we do. We're, we're like an accountability partner. But I had done a ton of races myself over 25 years, and I kind of knew the psyche the psyche and, and the brands over the years that came and went and the sports that came and went, BMX, surfing, et cetera, right? So that are now Olympic sports, but they, they went through some really tough times. And so I said to myself very early on, yeah, we're an accountability partner, right? We're gonna, we're gonna get people to get in shape, but we're gonna have longevity. It's gotta be a legit sport. Maybe be in the Olympics. It's gotta be authentic, Right? It's got, I have to actually do the stuff I'm, I'm asking other people to do. And by the way, there's a downside to what I just said. The downside is if I was um, a 5K color run where you have a ton of beer at the finish line, and that's what we'd get more people to come in, but it flames out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't last. And I know because I did this stuff myself for 25 years. And so we took a very hard line in the sand and we said, this is what we're going to be and this is what we're going to do. And it sucked. Every time I announce an event, I'm going to spend $600,000, whether we have one person or 10,000 people, mm -hmm. right? And I'm a maniac, so I didn't just announce one event. I announced an event in Slovakia, one in the UK, one in Montreal. And it's like, fuck, right? Because now you got a market. Right. And I didn't know what a USP was, a unique selling proposition, until I saw your book. I didn't know anything, <laughs> right? I have this question. Yeah. So you started in business cleaning pools yeah. uh, for the mafia, in yep. Queens, New York. So how did you go from <laughs> that into transforming people's lives in like Korea, in, yeah, in 42 other countries? So tell a little bit about that upbringing of what makes, what made you 
this guy that now has literally... So, so true story, who saw the movie Goodfellas? Probably everybody saw Goodfellas. So I, I'm not exaggerating. I grew up ground zero of Goodfellas. The, the Varios, who the um, movie is based on, were my neighbors across the street. We live right next to Kennedy Airport, so what the movie portrays is very accurate. And my dad had a trucking company. And every morning, it was like Christmas in the garage. There might be a box of leather gloves that didn't make it where it was supposed to go. So that was very real, what you see in the movie. But it had some real negative, like lots of people went to jail, lots of people died. My father and mother used to fist fight. My mother had a broken nose. I mean, it was just, it was craziness because that's what comes with that. Well, unbeknownst to me, my neighbor is the head of the Bananos, Banano Organized Crime Family. He has daughters, he only has daughters, and he takes a liking to me, 10 years old. My parents are going through this fight. My mother finds yoga, 1972, mm -hmm. and meditation, and becomes a vegan. This is like before yoga magazines, before Whole Foods. Maybe in California there was a spot where this was happening, but it was not happening where I was. Mm -hmm. And so she's like outcast by me, by my father, by everybody. She's a nutcase, right? Crunchy. All the guys in there, they're driving Cadillac. Like, that's who you want to be. You don't want to do yoga. They get divorced, and my neighbor sees what's going on, and he says, hey, why don't you clean my pool once a week? I'll give you $35, which was, like, unbelievable. And he teaches me a bunch of lessons, which then leads to the head of the Lucchese's, uh, John Gotti, John Gotti's brother. Like, I had 700 customers by the time I graduated college, and they were mostly those guys. So um, if the FBI wanted to infiltrate, I would have been the perfect, I would have been the perfect guy. Freaking pool guy. Yeah, pool guy. You know, you, yeah. yeah. But I, it, was, um, it was awesome. What have you taken from that experience into your business and what have you left behind? Because you had to, you had to be surrounded in a very interesting world of, of so, ethics. So the, cra the crazy thing is, which nobody in this room would expect, is I got a lot of great lessons directly from a lot of those husbands and wives, even the wives, who were, the wives were amazing because in many instances, the wives made the husbands think they were in charge. Like they were really good at playing, but, but really the wife was in charge. Wow. And you could see that, like I could see that, right? Because they let me in their yard. I could walk in their house. I, like I had access. They trusted me implicitly. A guy named Paul Ariola had a long wooden table that I hope to have one day. Like, like I would take little bits from every family and say, I want that someday. Anyway, he'd sit there and he'd be smoking a cigar. And he said, you know, in life, uh, the best thing you could do is help people. Now, this is a guy who killed people for a living. <laughs> but, but, um, but, I, but I internalized that. I'm going to help people. And that was consistent with my mother's message. Um, Joe, my, my neighbor, said to me, look, if you say you're coming at 8 a.m., you better be here at 745. If you say you're going to clean the pool, you better straighten up the yard, too, even though I'm not paying you for that and the shed. you got to go above and beyond and never ask for money. Like, that stayed with me for... 40 years, wow. right? And never, how would you learn these lessons from these guys, right? Never, little Vic, they called him, Vic Amuso. You can look all, the, all these guys up. He said, um, he said, never talk about how much money, you, you, you don't want to be that tall tree. Right. These are lessons that the gurus, like you now are pushing, the, the mobsters were pushing these. They were the, they were the original uh, gangsters, and, and, right? Right. Like, and all this stuff. Do you still have any... Contact with any of them? So it's a crazy... Does anybody know? You've heard, you probably saw the, the um, pasta sauce in stores. Rayo's? Yeah. So the story gets crazier. So, so I build this business. I don't even realize what's going on. But I'm getting a P 
peek into all these lives and these houses and how households are being run. And, and I'm watching like 12 years take place like in a movie and kids that get screwed up and go to jail and other kids that excel and go to college and families that break up and guys that have girlfriends on the side and wives that have boyfriends on the side. And I'm just like Bruce Lee saying, all right, I want that. I don't want that. And I, I don't even know I'm internalizing. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome because it's like a fishbowl. And I certainly don't want what I saw with my parents. I want to have a healthy marriage. My mother moves me to Ithaca, New York, because it's, it's a town that she hears is going to be open to her lifestyle, the, the being vegan and yoga and meditation. So my sister and I are kicking and screaming because we don't want to leave our friends. And then I got this business I'm running, so I got to go back and forth on the weekends. I'm in um, Ithaca. I'm graduating high school, and... A friend of mine, and my grades are terrible. I, my parents didn't teach us about going to college or studying or just wasn't on the list of things to do. And I had this business. And so my friend John R. Bell, true story, says, why don't we go to Cornell? Because Cornell is in Ithaca. And there's three months to graduate high school. And I'm like, how would we go to college? Like, my grades are terrible. My SAT scores suck. And by the way, I got this business. My dad's a professor. He's going to get us in. Which made perfect sense to me, considering where I come from in the neighborhood. Like, oh, you got a guy, right? We got, we, got a, we got an in, we pay the guy off, and he's getting us into Cornell. Right. So, so um, I got to get a suit. We're going to go for interviews, and it's in the bag. It was awesome, right, wearing a suit and going in and doing it, but neither of us get accepted. <laughs> but, but now I'm interested. Now I want to go to Cornell, yeah. right? My friend says to me, uh, listen, I spoke to my dad. And we could go extramural, which means uh, most kids will take 15 credits that get accepted. We could take nine credits, three classes. We'll be behind. They won't be official, but we'll prove that we can handle the workload. <laughs> so I said, that's interesting. You don't, do you know the story? That no, I, I don't. No. So, so I, I said, that's interesting. I said, so what I'll do, because I've never studied, is while I'm running my business in Queens that summer, I'll go to St. John's. I'll take two classes so I could be at least close to what the other kids will do. Plus, I'll learn how to study during the summer. My friend says... Fuck that. We'll go to uh, Vegas and party all summer and, um, because we got to buckle down in September. So, so I, one, I can't do it because of my business, but two, it just didn't even make sense to me. Like, why you'd want to prepare? Why would you? Anyway, we, we veer off. We go back that next semester. I get two A's and a B, and he gets like three C's, yeah. right? But I had studied all summer at St. John's. Neither of us get accepted again. I really worked hard. But now I'm furious. Now I'm like, I definitely want to go here. <laughs> so, so triangular wheels on my bicycle, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like there was, if I had just taken the pill, I would have got him from the beginning. <laughs> so I apply again. He says, screw this. He goes to UNLV. I apply again, and I don't get in. I apply a third time. I don't get in. By the fourth semester, now I'm, I'm a ton of credits behind. I'm probably making $100,000 a year at this point with my business in New York. Maybe college isn't for me. I'm going to pack it in. And I tell my mother, and my mother says, uh, you know what? There's a woman I want you to meet that I teach yoga to. And I had never connected my mother with that. Like, she wouldn't have connections like my dad would have or somebody from the neighborhood would have. But I figured out of respect, I'll, I'll meet who she wants me to meet. But then I'm leaving for New York. I'm done with school. Anyway, I meet Professor Anita Racine. Cornell University is really unique in that it has a ton of colleges within the university. So you could, you could be a veterinarian, you could study hotel school, you could be an architect. It's, it's massive. And she was uh, running a textile school within Cornell because 100 years earlier, 
farmers would go to Cornell and the wives would like learn homemaking and things in this, in this uh, human, school of human ecology. Textiles is one of the divisions. Anyway, I sit down with her. I'm brushing it off already. The meeting's going to go nowhere, but I'm doing it for my mom. And she says, listen, I run this department, this textile department. There's 90 women in the class. There's no men. Do you like textiles? Like, I love textile. I didn't know, I didn't even know, I didn't even know what a textile was, right? And, and, um, and so she, she got me in. It was awesome. Wow. And, and so uh, I don't know where I was going. No, but, the, 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 the spaghetti sauce. Oh, the spaghetti sauce. So, so I, um, I'm graduating now. I got in and I'm graduating. By the way, I got to pat myself on the back because it was a big deal for me. Uh, last semester, I had to make, I had to do like 30 credits to make up to graduate on time. Mm-hmm. And I made Dean's List, which was like a big deal for somebody that never, right? Wow. So it just goes to show, though, SAT, it doesn't really matter, right. right? So anyway, I'm graduating, and I decide to go for broke. And there's the Johnson Graduate School of Management, and there's a program where you could do one year, get an, an MBA. So I'm like, I'm already doing this. Let me see if I can get an MBA on one shot. And so I take a class in the MBA program, and uh, I meet a guy named Al Capucci who I clicked with right away, Italian guy, right? Because I have all the Italian customers. And he runs a billion dollars for the Teamsters. So we get along right away, right? But he's clean. He doesn't do any of the things that my customers do back in, in New York. <laughs> but he says to me, what the hell are you doing? And, how, and I'm telling him about my business and how well I'm doing. That's where I'm going to go when I graduate. And he says, you, you got to go on the other side of the river. You got to go to Manhattan. You got to go to Wall Street. I didn't really know anything about Wall Street. I knew the 87 crash. I assume nobody made money there anymore. I had my business and I was happy. Every, when I graduated, every month on the month, he called and said, um, when are you going to Wall Street? And I would just brush him up. When are you going to Wall Street? And this went on for four years. He called me every month and just took a liking to me and, and just stayed with me. And four years into it, he says one day, if you're not going to listen to me, I want you to buy a stock. And I had never bought a stock. Now I had some savings. And he says, I want you to buy this stock. Syntex. It was a, it was a drug company. And that day I was picking up like a $200,000 check from a customer that owed, owed me money. Because now we were building houses, we were doing brickwork. So the customer I'm picking up money from is a pharmacist. So he, I said to him, hey, my friend just said I should buy this stock, Syntex. And he's like towel drying himself. He just got out of the shower. He said, I can't believe you're bringing that up. He says, I'm, I'm buying Syntex today. I'm buying 10,000 shares. The stock was $14 share. He spent $140,000 in front of me. By the syntax, he sits me down. He says, you're not married. You're making money. Now would be the time to take the risk. Your friend is right. And he hands me the $200,000. He says, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to call a broker right now. And he makes me put the whole $200,000 into <laughs> syntax that day. Stock gets taken over the next day, oh. right? I make whatever, $100,000. I'm like, I'm going to Wall Street. This is, un- <laughs> this is unbelievable. I, you don't have to do anything, right? I, I'm, I'm burying bodies to make money. <laughs> so, so, um, so I go to Wall Street. I sell my business to, to my employees. I go to Wall Street. Now we get back to the, the pasta sauce. So um, there's a restaurant in New York called Rayo's. You couldn't get a table. It might be a little easier to get a table now, but, but still pretty hard. There's very few tables in the restaurant. It's been around 100 years, mostly... It was mostly gangsters. You might find the head of the New York Stock Exchange at that time, Dick Grosso, the head of General Electric, Jack Welch, uh, Billy Crystal, Denzel Washington. Like, it was pretty unbelievable if you can get into the place. My neighbor, the head of Banana Organized, had a table. So he now goes to jail. So the wife, who I was friendly with, says, hey, do you want the table on Wednesday nights? 
So that made my whole life. Wow. So, so wow. you know, it was awesome that I got into Cornell. It was unbelievable that I had the, got to Wall Street, but it was the table wow. that made my whole life. So I don't know what the, the lesson is there. Find the best restaurant in your neighborhood and get a table. I don't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, that is, that's really... I, because because there, was not a, there was not a person on Wall Street that I couldn't get to by just saying, hey, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, do you want to... So how long did that last? On and off... Eight years. And did you sell it, give it up? How does no, that work? No, no, no. It, it eventually, Giuliani broke up organized crime and everything got messy, but, okay. but um, for, I had it for a long enough period of time that it worked. Did you have to pay for that or was it just granted to you? In the beginning, I just, it was just granted, but then it became something I had to pay for. Interesting. So you would pay, towards the end, you'd pay $5,000 just, just to have the reservation and then pay for dinner on top of that. Yeah. So part of it, in terms of getting access, I think the ability to get access to things has a lot to do with where your life goes and how you do stuff. So, let, okay, so let me, let me talk about the business. And I, the, the question here is uh, a lot of people in, in business talk about changing the world and making an impact, and very few people actually do it. And so you often say you want to change 100 million lives. And so are you really doing that? I mean, I mean, that's the goal. It's, a, it's obviously a stretch goal. We have doled out hundreds of millions of burpees to people, right? And so if you, if you measure a, a change in somebody's life like I do, which is getting, like, getting you to do those burpees, yeah, or, yeah. Like, and, then that, and then you tell 10 friends. Oh, yeah. I've, then, I mean, I've influenced uh, a lot of hundreds people. of people. Yeah. Right. And it's not just burpees. It might be going for a run. It might be carrying a kettlebell, although no one picking that, that up as a um, pastime. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's not it's not going viral like the burpees did. Man, I swear you should freaking like you should. Uh, this is a marketing idea because I can't help myself. But uh, you should just have Spartan branded kettlebells. kettlebells and just you should have sponsors once they win, they're able to lug a kettlebell around for a year, documented on social media, and after they do that, they get some they sort get of something. special meeting with you. You would have enough crazy bastards lugging around. There's not, no, people are not picking that one up. But but if you if you measure, if you measure life change that way, it's possible. Yeah. We, we could get 100 million. Now we're not going to get 100 million people to come out and do a race. But if they could sprinkle a little Spartan in their life, maybe they take a cold shower, maybe they do some burpees, maybe they go for a run, uh, maybe they sign up for another event, and that motivates them to do stuff. Maybe they get their kids off video games. That's the goal. Well, okay. So, can you can you talk about the revenues and stuff of where you're at right now? Like I mean, how rough, big you're rough numbers. So uh, this year we hope to hit 1.2 million uh, participants. Mm-hmm. It's roughly 100 dollars to do a race. Then they buy some clothing and some other things. And so uh, you could do the math and, and figure out the size of the business. Uh, it's 250 events in in 41 countries. And wow. switching gears, a real business opportunity is can can we become a lifestyle brand? Yeah. Right. That word, I joke with Richard Branson, right? Like if you, for me, I think Spartan's a better word than virgin, but you know, that's just me. And so that's a powerful word. What can we do with it? Virgin, Spartan. I mean, there's, um, (laughs) what is a, what does a Spartan mean? What does it mean? And what does it mean to you? So like everybody conjures up an image in their head when they hear the word Spartan, right? It might be an image from the movie 300. It might be a Spartan life where you've got, you're sleeping on the floor or on a futon. It's less words. Say more with less, right? Mm-hmm. And so even across the 40-plus uh, countries, no matter where we go, everybody has that same, those same images. I think, certainly in the first world, we have too much stuff. When I think about nutrition, I think I, I want to sell less stuff. I don't think cabinets should be filled with protein powders and all that. I don't think you need all that. 
When I think about training, I don't think you need these fancy, fancy gyms. I think body weight exercises covers most of it. Maybe you don't need a full-time four-year education at, at Cornell University, right? Maybe you can get it done like you're suggesting. So I'm a big believer in less is more. Now, if it was 400 years ago, I might be sitting here talking about like we need couches, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. People are broken, we gotta, yeah. right? But in the first world, it's, it's tough right now because we have too much. How long ago did you start, Spartan? So it's, this is it's grown this is, tremendously. So I want to talk about yeah. yeah so this and, is eighteen an eighteen year overnight success. You're going to love this story. In two thousand, I bought the URL peak.com, P-E-A-K.com, and that was my brand in my mind. I was going to build a social network for lunatics that would climb Everest and go on long runs. And it was too early. Mm-hmm. And and my product was my product was a 350 mile. There was nobody that would, was willing to sign up for it. There was no social network. I didn't, I was focused on Wall Street. I didn't have the time, but I paid a million dollars for Peak.com, and I messed around for 10 years and I, I lost millions of dollars and I just couldn't make it work. In 2010, I got serious, changed the name, changed the format against my will. Three miles, eight miles, 13 miles. Facebook existed. Tons of veterans coming back. CrossFit. It was just the right time. You know, a hockey stick that took off. Four days ago, I got a call. Somebody wanting to buy peak.com. And like literally, I've been playing a tape for 18 years. What an idiot. Who would pay a million dollars for, I'm such a jerk. A four and a half million dollar bid four, four days ago for peak.com. <laughs> right? Did you sell it? The, the, I just got an email. The cash cleared. Wow. I can't even believe, I, I figured there's no way anybody, no one's paying. I can't even believe it. My luck, I probably sold it four million dollars too cheap. Yeah. But but um, unbelievable. <laughs> Luckily, you work on the facts program. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Explain to people what the races actually are, or what it actually is, so they get a context of it. And everyone, you know, the red for the blood and all of that stuff. I mean, there's some interesting. Yeah, so things. it's not it's not hokey in any way. It doesn't feel like uh, the Renaissance Games. Everything we did had to be athletic and legitimate. And so I went back and we look, uh, or even in the ancient world, the original uh, Olympics, you know, back when the Spartans actually existed, or even the modern Olympics uh, 100 years ago, or military training 100 years ago, and, and it's really no different. It's scaling walls, it's climbing ropes, it's crawling under barbed wire. It's all the things that a human being, from a um, mechanical standpoint, should be able to do. We should be able to crawl, climb, jump, and we sit. And we type, and that's all we do, right? And so we're actually learning helplessness. I'm trying to make people harder to kill. Do you guys see that there was a, a Apple News yesterday, I think, or the day before, was that there was a runner in Colorado attacked by a mountain lion, cho- choked it out, choked it out, killed it himself, right? That's what we're doing. We're trying to make people harder to kill. <laughs> by the way, I was at the um, Explorers Club. You've heard of the Explorers Club in New York, right? There is a stuffed lion on the wall, and same exact story from, you know, 80 years ago, where, where uh, one of these explorers literally choked out a lion by sticking his arm down the lion's throat and choking him. The Explorers Club president that's explaining the story is like, I don't know if it's true or not. But then when you hear this story, it's like, you know, you're fighting for your life. Explain a little bit of the logistics if someone signs up for a Spartan race. Uh, what are their options in terms of the, the length, in terms of uh, so it's, it's, how it's, difficult? It's three miles. First of all, 99% of the people are going to finish. Really, the imagery is scary. The word Spartan is a little scary, right? 
but it scares you into training, mm -hmm. to not drinking as much, to waking up a little earlier. That's what it's meant to do. Now, again, if we were in the third world, somebody would do it and say, that was, that was a joke. Mm -hmm. The way I live every day is tougher than that, right? right? But just because we learn helplessness and we're living the way we live, it's like a little bit of a rite of passage. Yeah. Who is the community? Where are they coming from? And how do they engage outside of your core product of just the races? You know, I mean, you guys are pros at marketing. And, and I, I wish I could say my answer may be a terrible answer, which is it's a Marine. It's a mom. It's a monk. Literally, monks show up in robes. Big, tall, short, skinny, fat. It's everybody. Uh, it doesn't matter what country, what culture. So uh, people just don't feel, you know, first world, you just don't feel alive. You don't feel good, right? You have a little too easy. A friend signs up, and then a friend gets eight buddies to come out. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a six million person community. And they get tattoos. And they feel like they're part of this tribe, this Spartan tribe. And there's nothing negative about the brand. It's just a positive brand. And, and you know, if you went into a, restaurant you'd see right away who the spartans were and once you've suffered through this like that's all you got like i'm not running through barbed wire right now like who right so we had talked about this before so you have you have like an economy within spartan that with some good marketing on this just because we have a room full of marketers how much water is consumed during a spartan race I mean, you're and where does it come from? Do you have a water sponsor? No, it's ridiculous. So, so um, the pro you know, the problem is, this is going to sound crazy, but I would welcome, I am help agnostic. Anybody can give us help. The problem is, even the big companies, even a Reebok, who was our sponsor for a while, they're not big enough to handle us. Because, that sounds crazy, but like, for them to execute in 40 plus countries, it's just too much of a nightmare for those employees to figure it out, Right. Look at Cliff Bar. Cliff Bar came on as a partner of ours. They branded 100 million bars for us. 100, who could do that? They do 800 million in sales, they, like, yeah. right? So that's the problem. It's not unsolvable. Rack, you know, Rakuten, they're a digital company, so they could execute across, for, like they get it, right? Yeah. So they became a giant partner of ours. Think of the opportunities here with the right partnership with 6 million people that are pursuing betterment. It's big. It's big. And the thing is, and I'm not saying this to be self-serving, you'd see it if you came out, if anybody was doing the race right now and you're at mile two, three, whatever, you're climbing a hill, you're exhausted, you're sweating, and all of a sudden there is a cliff bar there to give you nutrition, right. you'll never stop eating. Like the, the, the psychological, the connection, the neural pathways that get connected, right? I'm dying, cliff bar saved me, that's it, rest of your life. I went scuba diving in Hawaii I remember, this is the first time I ever scuba dived, and I was so thirsty and so hungry when I got out. I ate pineapple, and it was the most delicious pineapple yeah, yeah, I'd ever. ever eaten in my life, and, they, and it totally, it, it just wired something in my head about pineapple. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, exactly right. <laughs> wow. On, yeah. on the subject of uh, sponsors and the difficulty of getting a big enough sponsor to sponsor the event, if you had the right system, you could do regional sponsors, Right, just like we do, we do regional and we do local. I'm probably answering this wrong. I'm a bit snobbish. I don't know if that's the right word. I want some big global partner. It's yeah. easier for me, selfishly. Yeah, yeah, it makes just sense. right. And the other thing is, so for example, in Spain, Mercedes Benz is a partner, right? In China, Infinity is a partner. In Japan, BMW. It's ridiculous because when I put this stuff out on social, it bleeds across markets. So, like, who is it? Is it Infinity? Is it BMW? Is it Mercedes Benz? 
And I'm banging my head against the wall in meetings with Germany, with BMW, like, I don't, I don't understand. If it's good enough in Japan, why don't you just do a global deal with us? Mercedes, if it's good enough, in, it's just uh, mind-boggling. How many media impressions are last year, that if you could so even it's measure one, it? So it's one million, by the way, I use numbers loosely, so like it could be 1.2 million per month uniques come to our website. Okay. Right? I remember when we did the deal with Reebok, it was a crazy number in the first quarter. We got like 500 million impressions or something. Some yeah. crazy number, because the reason is, and this is, this is one to think about. We, you and I talk about this. I take 8 million photos a year. I take 8 photos of each person, right? Think about those photos get shared by everybody. How do I not have an owner? How does Canon or Nikon or somebody not put their name on 8 million? I don't get it. It doesn't even make, it only costs me a million dollars a year to shoot those 8 million. Like, who doesn't pay a million dollars to put their name on that? What would you pay for that? No, no, I would take, I just want my cost eliminated. Yeah, it's got to be worth a million dollars. So if someone gave you a million bucks, you would... Eight million photos that are going to share all over the world in 40... Are you crazy? Who doesn't own that? Yeah, we should, uh, we should come up with some... Headbands. I put 1.2 million headbands on people that get seen in all those... Like, anyway. So, okay, so after building such a strong uh, you know, B2C business, why now in 10 years start over with B2B? I met the owner of Saks Fifth Avenue. It's owned by a, a company called Hudson Bay out of, out of Canada. And he's, I became good friends with him, and he's got um, 65,000 employees. And it started the wheel spinning uh, a year or so ago where I said, like, it's a force multiplier. Like, right now I'm, I'm in hand-to-hand combat getting one customer at a time. If I can get companies to buy into this idea that we could change lives, get people healthy, I got to get to companies, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's the way to do it. So that's, that's the reason. So we're doing leadership talks, very much like this setting. We got an Olympian to come mm-hmm. up, a military person to come up and just try to inspire companies to get people healthy. The offering right now for B2B, and again, I'm health agnostic, is we do state, some stadium events. So in like Fenway, for example, or AT&T Park, or we do stadiums around the world, probably a dozen of them. And at those stadiums, the Friday night before, it'll be an event like this, only there's 300 people, 200 people in the audience, and there's five speakers. And, and we're talking just like this, and we're inspiring folks, and then hopefully they go back to their organization and inspire the organization to come out and race. You've talked about OCR, obstacle course racing, uh, becoming an Olympic sport. Is that going to happen in your mind? And why are you pushing for this? Yeah, so again, it was really important that we get legitimacy. Uh, We're trying to create a sport from scratch. And when I was a kid, I used to race BMX and BMX came and went. Snowboarding came, you know, was popular and died off a little bit. And so I said, if we could make this an Olympic sport, it's gonna have staying power. And so you need to be, have governing bodies in 42 countries. Anyway, worked on that whole thing. Uh, it's probably a decade away. If you were to get in a physical fight with like the, the cross trainer folks, do you think you could take them? CrossFit people. Um, Did cro- I say cross trainer, CrossFit people? Yeah. CrossFit folks. I think the CrossFit folks would kick my ass like in um, a little combat in this room. Mm-hmm. But if we had to go on a run, I would kick their ass. Gotcha. And so like, not that I'm fast. But you're lugging bricks and shit around while you're... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and when I say me or them, I mean that audience versus our audience. Our, our audience, and you'll see it in a documentary we have coming out, our audience is running five-minute miles, our, our elite audience is running five-minute miles and sub-five-minute miles after lifting an 80-pound sandbag, right, climbing over walls, crawling under barbed wire for two and a half hours. Yeah. A CrossFitter is competing for 12 minutes, right? And so we tested our athletes versus... Olympic runners, cross-country skiers, you name it. 
our athletes surpass everybody on VO2 max testing and overall strength. They're not great at anything, but they're really good at everything. We only got a few more minutes left, yeah. but I want to ask you what, what's next for Spartan and how much longer do you plan to run the company? I mean, are you going to, are you going to, I was, jo- I was joking with Dean earlier that, um, I, maybe I'll do a global search for a CEO yeah. where we do like send in a video. If you think you could be see like, cause I, I'm, I'm getting to that point where I'd like to step back and be chairman. And I know every CEO thinks this, what I'm about to say, but I, I feel like it's a hard role to fill because it's not, it's not just running a business. It's all, it's, it's like. It's the sport and really understanding the mindset. So it's somebody that was into this stuff, but also could run a business. How big is your staff? How big is your team? I made a, a, a funny uh, joke. I said, I never want to get bigger than 300 people because of the movie 300 and, and the story in Thermopylae. <laughs> but I think we're at 340 or something. And I told the HR, I said, I want to get it to 300. We can't get it to 300. 300's the number we have to stay at. You had a video on Outside Magazine where you tell the story of does it make the boat go faster? I'd love you to just give the short version of that story as a mindset of how people, what they put in their bodies, how they think about things, who they hang out with. I mean, there's so many lessons in that story. So I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. I'm going to do it really fast because we got to go. And I came up with 10 principles that will get you through business, get you through anything in life. One of the principles we'll dive into, but I'm going to rattle off the 10 principles quick, right? And, and the professor spoke about earlier, know your true north, right? If you know your true north and have self-awareness where you want to go in life, it's going to be easier to do. Commitment is, is a huge one for me. Like commit, make it non-negotiable. Be enthusiastic. Like who, who wants to be around an energy sucker, right? Delay gratification. So I tested my son when I learned about the marshmallow test. You know the marshmallow yeah. test? <laughs> I tested my son. He was uh, my oldest son. He was six. And I gave him a scoop of ice cream and I said, hey, Jack, you could have the scoop now, or you could wait, and I'll give you two. And I, I, you don't know what kind of kid you have, right? I didn't know I was going to have a kid that, that doesn't. And three and a half minutes into the test, he turned to me and he said, Dad, how long would it take to get 15 scoops? <laughs> and so, that, so, I, so my, my message is, how, how do we all go for 15 scoops? Because that's what we're going for, right? So delay gratification, maximize time. So there's this great story, you look it up, uh, that Joe references called, uh, Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? It's a rowing team. I'm going to screw up the facts of the story in the sense of dates and things, but it's a UK rowing team. I'm not sure what Olympic Games it was. They're going up against, let's call it the Australians. They're going to lose. There's no way they're going to win. And the coach says, here's what we're going to do. The next 18 months, every single decision we make, we are going to ask ourselves, will it make the boat go faster, Right. Hey, guys, let's go for ice cream. Will it make the boat go faster? No, we're not having ice cream. Hey, guys, let's go hang out with the girls. Will it make the boat go faster? No. So the only thing they did were things that made the boat go faster. Probably very boring, probably very painful. They won the gold, and it's no different in life. So maximize your time, get gritty, embrace adversity. I'm a big believer in manufacturing adversity. You never know when a lion's going to attack you on a run in the woods, right? right? Adjust your frame of reference. Dean was talking about earlier, and all of a sudden you don't get upset in traffic. Be honorable. And then uh, the last one is be Spartan, which encompasses all of them. Anyway, that's that. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Go to GeniusNetwork.com to access all of our previous episodes and to subscribe to the podcast to be notified for all future episodes. 